Hey everyone, welcome to today's conversation at This is Creative AI. I'm your host, Karnal Uthra. Today we're speaking with Zara Anita Paul. Uh, hi, Zara. How are you doing today? <laughs> hi, Karnal. I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? Well, thank you. Zara is the founder of Chopatik, one of the co-founders, along with Darren. Briefly about Zara, she's the founder and CEO of Chopatik. She was at Durham University. Chopatik is already her third startup doing an ARR of 50k and more on that later. Her first product was a graphic design app, the second being a website for customizable merchandise. Background in math and computer science and evidently as a very strong creative streak. About Chopity, as their website says, Chopity is the easiest and fastest AI video clip maker. The AI edits for you, you maintain 100% flexibility. We'll discover more about Chopity as we look at it through the lens of the Descartes framework, breaking it down into tools, data, behavior change, and business ventures. So, straight off, building startups isn't easy. You're already onto your third with Uni in the recent path. What are three personal drivers for you to want to start up? I'd say that the first one is freedom. I really like having control over my hours and what I do in my day-to-day life. I'd say that the second one is boredom. I really like variety. I couldn't imagine going into a job and doing the same thing every single day. That would drive me insane. And I think the last one is just kind of to see if I can. I like pushing myself to see if I can do things, especially unlikely things. And I think that starting a company and succeeding at a company is a thing that is unlikely. (laughs) Freedom, boredom, and pushing yourself to doing unlikely things. So it sounds like a recipe for excitement always. How have you solved that for yourself through Chopity? If you can talk us through what Chopity is, what is the workflow, like through looking at through the first lens of the tool and the data. So I'll start with the user flow. You first open the website and you drop in your long video. We're particularly aimed towards podcasters at the moment. And you can either drop in a YouTube link or select a local file. And it takes about four to five minutes to upload a one hour long file. And in that time, we do some processing in the background. There's a bunch of AI that gets performed and then clips are generated. We generate on average about 15 clips for a one hour long episode. And then from the projects page, you can see all of your clips and you can either open those up in the editor and make some edits or you can just download them. And that's that's basically how the user flow works. Our first startup was a graphic design app. And the whole time that we were working on that app, we knew that social media and the internet was converging towards video. Video is the fastest growing consumed media on the internet. So we were as a static image editor or graphics editor competing with video, which was just far more engaging. And so we basically made the easy transition towards video. I mean, easy as an idea, difficult in practice. (laughs) It's very difficult tech to be working with. (laughs) And yeah, so we actually had a lot of podcasters in our network already who were struggling with discoverability and with producing clips, either because it was expensive or time consuming. And so that's how Chopati was born. Amazing. And what is the underlying tech behind Chopati? Where does AI play a role? Yeah, maybe let's start there. So without going into too many details and giving you all of our trade secrets, (laughs) We use AI to transcribe the whole video that gets uploaded. We use AI in order to generate the clip. 
So choose parts of the clips which are likely to be engaging. We use AI for face tracking. And at the moment, that's all the AI tech that we're using. There's more things that are coming, but I don't want to give too much away just yet. Okay. I mean, I was going to ask about the roadmap, but maybe, you know, at least people can start with jumping into the product and experiencing what you have created. So that's a little bit about the product itself, mm -hmm. right? Now, if you were to move a little bit about the behavior change aspect, you know, the challenges people might feel in maybe using the product, changing their existing behavior of engaging, let's say, video editors or freelancers, using platforms like Premiere Pro itself. What have been some of your learnings and challenges as you've put this offering out there? So I think the biggest challenge is just the general resistance towards AI and tech, which I think you get a lot of in the creative industry. I think it's it, it's not an industry which is particularly inclined to adopt tech very quickly. Actually, I find that the people who are most keen to use Chopperty are video editors, actually. Um, they're looking for tools to streamline their processes and they're also looking to be able to expand their offering and to scale their workflow, basically, which they can't do with traditional tools. I think one of the interesting things that's happening at the moment is that the demand for short-form video is growing, but not just that, the demand for quality short-form video is growing. And I think that Chopperty just fills in some of that supply. And if I were to probe that a little bit further, why should someone use Chopperty versus, say, I'm sure competition? The big things that our users tell us is that we actually produce the best clips of all of the AI clip generators, which is really nice and really flattering. That's a good incentive. <laughs> For sure. I actually think that a bigger incentive is just the flexibility that we provide. We're built with flexibility in mind first. We know that AI doesn't get things right 100% of the time. And so it's super important to be able to make tweaks, which a lot of tools are not built with that in mind. They are built with a done for you approach. Who are you speaking to? So I mean, you're as part of now taking this behavior change, you're having a variety of different conversations, right? And then that going to the business. And I know that before we come to the fact that you have this built-in public approach to at least your business metrics. Uh, we've come to that as part of, you know, spotlighting that a bit. But transitioning into that, uh, who are your customers, ideal customers? And what does that conversation look like, especially when you're, you know, dealing with, say, some resistance or pushback? So our ideal customers are podcast producers, podcast production agencies, or solo podcasters. They're people that are looking to expand their workflow to be able to produce more marketing content. Um, but the reason that they're also our ideal customer is because we're going to be expanding into the ability to edit longer form podcasts. And if they're using the tool now to make those short form clips, it will be a really easy transition for them to also edit their full length episodes as well. When you're speaking to these potential customers, what is the typical conversation? How does that go? In the early stages, we were doing a lot of founder-led sales. And the primary thing that we were pitching was the flexibility element of it. It comes down to sort of individual features and things that, that we can do, which you can't do on other tools, such as concatenating from multiple different sources and actually just having a simple timeline where you can drag and drop elements. It's not something that you can do in, in most, other, most other tools, specifically repurposing tools. 
But now we're not doing founder-led sales anymore. Actually, all of our acquisition comes from either word of mouth or ads, which is interesting because the, the product is sort of pitching itself. And actually, a lot of people who are coming to us are coming to us because they've tried out a bunch of the other tools and they're not satisfied. And I think at the beginning as a last resort and then end up becoming super fun, which is great. You know, you just need a thousand of those to hit that yeah. 100k or the million dollar level in. And actually, speaking about revenue, you have been very transparent in sharing your journey, how you've gone from a couple of hundred to now eventually getting to an ARR of, you know, 50K plus. Why have you chosen to take that route? What does that give Chapati in being transparent about your growth and your journey? Yeah, so there's a couple of different reasons, actually. The first one was that we always appreciated seeing other companies' revenue figures online. We just liked the transparency of it because it gives you an idea of their size and of their operations. And it just feels honest and transparent. Another reason was accountability. We liked having a place that we could just kind of be honest about what's going on with the business. And LinkedIn is a really good place for that, actually, that we can just kind of publish what's going on, whether it's good, whether it's bad. And lastly, because it gives it gives people something to root for. We've had a number of people come up to us at different networking events and tell us that they really like seeing our figures every week. We're not doing it every week anymore. There's also another reason for that. We can get to that in a second. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we've actually grown a sort of, uh, I guess, a, a kind of a following that's kind of gone a little bit under the radar because they don't actually interact with the posts, but but they'll come and talk to us about it when they see us and and tell us that they, they really enjoy seeing it. But yeah, so, so we used to do it every week, but actually towards the end of last year, we had quite stagnant MRR figures for a couple of weeks in a row. I think the fact that we had to committed to posting it every single week meant that we were looking at the kind of zero, 0.5%, like minus 0.5% growth week on week. And it was just kind of getting us down. So we decided to stop. And actually, when we did stop in the kind of month and a half that we'd stopped, we'd seen the most growth that we'd ever seen. So, and our motivation had come back for other reasons too. I mean, we'd kind of reevaluated the vision of the company and, and had done a lot of work and taken a lot of space for ourselves, which was really valuable. Yeah, so now we're going to be doing regular posts again but we won't do them every week as a as a founder entrepreneur it's your energy per hour that you have right not absolute number of hours but how much energy that you have totally. uh, per hour that you can put into different things so maybe zooming out uh sort of helps you see the picture slightly differently and from that from time to time that's what's needed for sure and, and on that given that you were sharing uh, your numbers and you have a different perspective on that you see yourself being a venture-backed business. What is say, some of the plan going into 2024? So actually, we've been back and forth about whether or not we want to raise. We have turned down investment, mostly because whenever the conversation has come up between myself and, and Aaron, we've always been very on the fence about whether or not we need it, which tells us that we don't need it. And currently we have quite a long runway and we are also enjoying the freedom of not having to worry about setting up a board and about, you know, kind of, we, we don't even have a shareholders agreement between the two of us because we're married and have been working on startups since, you know, since we met. And 
And we would have to do all of these kind of legal things and the process of raising takes a really long time. And the priority for us is really just growing the business. And as long as we're raising or doing something that's not paying attention to the business, then that could actually end up being very detrimental. So until we need it, we're not going to think about it. You know, maybe in some ways that also feeds into what seems to be a parallel track or a growing stream of conversation around, does everyone need to build a venture-backed startup? And there's enough pros and cons for both factors that we're now living into a different world in some ways, you know, and there is, uh, there's a lot of dialogue and questioning around pretty much everything. And in some ways, maybe it's healthy. So that just creates more awareness. Now I'm going to quickly jump into rapid fire questions. What's a book, podcast, or course that you would recommend for people to get to know AI a little better? Sure. So I think it really depends in, in what capacity you want to get to know AI. Most of the AI that I've gotten to know has been from quite a technical standpoint through my degree and through developing. You just end up kind of reading a lot about it. And there are a couple of good sources that get very technical about it. One is a YouTube channel called Three Blue One Brown. They're actually very math heavy. So if you're into that, then I would say that's a very good place to learn about the details of AI. For more sort of ethical and sociological conversations, I would say that David Brown's Creators with AI podcast is really good. It talks more about the kind of high level of how AI fits into society. I would say that's a very good podcast. And there's one more YouTube channel called Kurt Gazak. It's like an info animation channel on YouTube, which gets quite existential. It talks about a range of different topics, but it talks about how AI fits into the future and it's got quite a good, good few episodes on robotics and AI. Thanks for the recommendations. What's an unpopular opinion about AI that people need to pay more attention to? I personally think that AGI is a lot closer than we think it is. I just think that tech advances at an exponential rate. We didn't expect something as powerful as ChatGPT to come about um, as quickly as it did. And I, I just think that, yeah, artificial general intelligence is imminent. And I think that with the development of it, the rise of it, the strengthening of it, we are going to have to redefine what it is to be alive and human and conscious and potentially have to think about how AI and robotics fits in a more integrated way in our society. Yeah, it just reminded me of that quote by William Gibson, who said that the future is already here. It's just not very evenly distributed. Uh, he was a American speculative fiction author. But that's that's the thing, right? I mean, well before ChatGPT became public, what, 16, 18 months ago, it had already existed for, for a while. I mean, even with Google Gemini that they're now pushing out, they said that it existed in some form the last three, four years. Yeah. So AGI, to your point, possibly exists in some quarters and it's just that we're not in those rooms yet. Oh, those rooms have not been opened up to us yet. So let's see what 2024 holds. What's some advice you would give students who are just getting into college and might want to emulate what you've achieved with Chopity? I would say quit your degree. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think that... I mean, um, Steve Jobs said it as well, so... <laughs> and you are wearing black. We're both wearing black. <laughs> I haven't taken the turtleneck uh, symbol, I working, guess. Working, 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 <laughs> working way up, yeah. Yeah, I would say that, honestly, I think that traditional academic education it can be very valuable if what you want to go into is 
academic research or even industry research. But I think that that's very much the track that it's good for, specifically for tech. I think that if you don't want to go into kind of innovative research, then I just don't think you need a degree. I think you need to be working as quickly as possible, building up a portfolio, picking up on skills and learning how to do all of the things that are not specifically tech. I mean, I have a tech background and I don't spend a lot of my day developing because there are just so many other things that need to be done for running a business. Yeah, you you won't learn those things at uni. Yeah. And what are you looking forward to from 2024? That's a harder question than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where we're going to be a year from now. So we have only just gotten to a year since the launch of Chopperty. Actually, if you'd asked me a year ago where I thought we were going to be, I, I probably would have said something similar, which is that I, I just, you have no idea. The world is so volatile and there are so many things that go into the success or the failure of a company. I mean, we could be tanked and we could have started our next project or we could be you know uh, a household name I mean there's a lot of things in between <laughs> that we could also be but yeah I'm, I'm just curious and excited to see see where we'll be in a year and obviously wish you much success along the way and Thank more discoveries you. lastly where can people get in touch with you so you can get in touch with me at chopati.com slash contact um, you can find my email address there. I love receiving emails, by the way, and I respond to everything. So please feel free to reach out to me. You can also follow our startup journey on LinkedIn. And my LinkedIn, I think, will be linked in the description. And my username is Zara Anita. So you can find me on there as well. Thank you, Zara. This is uh, a great conversation for our viewers out there. There's also going to be a link where you can sign up into Chopity for a special offer there. Thank you so much for being part of this conversation and excited to see what 2024 has in store for you and Aaron and uh, Chopper's journey. Thank you so much for having me, Khan. This was really nice. <laughs>